0: Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Michael Price. Michael is a writer and producer known for his Emmy and Writers Guild award-winning work on The Simpsons. Michael is also the executive producer and showrunner of Netflix's F is for Family, which he co-created with Bill Burr. He also served as a script consultant on The Simpsons movie and worked for Lucasfilm, writing and producing for the Lego Star Wars franchise, including Lego Star Wars The Padawan Menace. He was also a writer and co-executive producer of the ABC series Teacher's Pet. Other TV shows he has written for include What About Joan, The PJs, Teen Angel, Homeboys in Outer Space, The News, and One Minute to Air. Michael, that is a very impressive resume. Welcome (laughs) to the show. Thanks, Court. Thank you. Such a, such a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure for us as well. We appreciate you taking the time. My first question is usually, where are you in the world right now? Obviously, right now, everyone's limited to their homes. So where is home for you now? About
1: My home is and has been for the last 20 or so years in uh, Sherman Oaks, California, which is in the San Fernando Valley of uh, Los Angeles. About a block yeah. from the famous Sherman Oaks Galleria, made famous in Fast Times of Ridgemont High and, and other things. Did you
0: move location-wise there to get into the industry, per se, or did you grow up
1: there? No, I grew up in New Jersey, and I moved out here to LA almost 30 years ago in January of 1992. Specifically, yeah, for this reason, to hopefully break into uh, the show business industry
0: (laughs) in in some way. (laughs) Tell us before we go into your origin story about the industry right now, obviously, quarantine going on, affecting the industry, productions have halted, but animation is obviously still going. I yes. assume. So can you walk us through what the state of the industry is right now? And what yeah, it's looking
1: like?: Pretty much what you said, and anything involving physical production, live action production with sets and actors and locations is, is shut down. The Simpsons uh, and most other animated shows are still going because that's the one form of entertainment that can largely be produced remotely by everyone being at home. So for the past seven or eight weeks, um, The Simpsons Writer's Room has been conducted via Zoom, just like everybody else now in the world (laughs) is doing everything by Zoom. And we're doing that. And then we also have, uh, normally we would have, when a new script is ready, we have a table read, which would involve everyone, the actors and the staff and even invited guests to come to a big conference room at our studio uh fox studios to uh listen to the script being read we've now done four of those on zoom where everyone's just participating on zoom and uh, we've gotten through that and uh we've been doing the recording sessions via um remote where the actors are a lot of them already have professional you know audio equipment but the ones that don't they've sent them some really good microphones and some equipment to sort of make like a little Home studio in their home and, and they're recording their parts that way and the animators are working on all the animation is done on um, a form of a kind of a tablet device you know so most of the animators are all working at home doing their work that way too so you know the simpsons and most of their animated shows that i believe are in production will continue that way throughout thank god you know i'm very happy that i still have a job you
0: mentioned the home recording, whether it's The Simpsons or Memphis or family. How do you ensure the actors are following the right steps? Obviously, there's a technical yeah. side to it. And obviously, you know, on the audio
1: quality, there's an echo, for instance, recording mm-hmm. in your bedroom. How I do haven't you been that? involved yeah. in that personally yet. So I couldn't tell you from personal experience. But What I know is that I know that they've been, I think they sent out to them, everyone shipped out like a really good quality microphone and some sort of way of building kind of baffling you know, kind of like a device or something to sort of sit around with fabric or something like that to help the sound. And I think there's people who are working at the studio who are sound people who I think are working super overtime now, probably. Most people, I think, are still probably coming into the studio, you know, in very limited numbers to as best they can to sort of help do their digital magic, you know, on this audio coming in and making it sound like the show. But like I said, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't heard anything yet, but that's what I understand is going on. And what are your thoughts
0: on the future? Obviously, right now, I think there's a lot of attention on animation because production's halted and everyone's craving content. And obviously, animation is huge because you can still create it. Do you think there will be an influx over time of more animation because of that? Or do you think because people will probably see more animation right now, there will be the opposite effect, which is people will want to see more live action?
1: I don't know. I mean, I would say even before... All this horrible stuff started happening in the beginning of the year. There already was kind of an animation boom going on, mostly thanks to just the huge influx of new channels, new streaming channels, Netflix, of course, and now there's, you know, Peacock and HBO Max and Apple and Amazon, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. And animation is also relatively inexpensive to make as compared to, let's say... I mean, on the far end, like a Game of Thrones type show, or, or even on the, right. on the smaller end, you know, uh, whatever, you know, so it's relatively inexpensive to make. The Simpsons is a, any indication. It plays really well all over the world. Uh, F is for Family, the other show I work on that I created, even though it's very specifically about a very particular time in American history set in the early 1970s in a kind of a very particular place, which is the kind of Rust Belt area of the upper northeast Great Lakes area, is playing all over the world. And and I see fans of it, you know, in every language. So I think there's something about animation that's also kind of universal. And I think that's, I don't know, I I think in the last couple of years, even before this pandemic, animation was already establishing kind of a boom to the point where when we were looking to staff our animation house for uh, our show... It was hard to find people uh, because there were so many shows in production. So uh, I think that if anything, this may even increase it some more. I mean, it might be come to a point where eventually it'll be a glut and people will get tired of it. But I don't know. It it is true in a way. It's kind of like the only game in town right now. I mean, everyone, of course, is hoping and praying that this will uh, will be past this soon enough that we can get back to making the shows that everyone wants to see that I like to see. You know, I can't wait. I'm a huge fan of Better Call Saul, which just ended, and now I just can't believe that. It, you know, <laughs> depending on how things go, I mean, it's a pretty small problem compared to whatever else is going on in the world. But you know, we have to wait two years or so or more, you know, to see how that that show uh, wraps up. So we all wanted to come back. We all want everyone to be back to work, of course, and everyone to be healthy. So it's just this weird place now. We're with animation network, and I'm very grateful. Very grateful that we're able to still work.
0: Well, I'm very excited to dive into the process of writing, particularly animated TV. Before we do that, we've hinted at your backstory. We've hinted at what happened once you moved from New Jersey to LA. I would love to find out the trajectory, what you did, what the steps you took to get to a point where you're now a showrunner. You've written The Simpsons. Walk us through that journey.
1: Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey uh, at a time when there was not a whole lot of... There wasn't cable TV yet. And so I just was a huge fan of old movies and old TV shows, and especially comedies. And I was a very TV-watching kid, uh, and I didn't know that that could in any way be applied to any kind of gainful employment. <laughs> and when I was, went to college, I was a theater major uh, in both undergraduate in New Jersey and also at Montclair State, it's called, and also at Tulane University for graduate school for theater, I have an MFA in directing for the theater. After that, I still kind of knocked around, didn't know what quite what to do with myself. I took a bunch of different jobs. Uh, I taught in a high school for a little while in New Jersey. Um, and then it was only when I started gravitating towards, a friend of mine had gotten involved in an improv comedy group in New York, and uh, he invited me to come see his show. And uh, I knew about improv a little bit from reading about it, from reading about the Second City and uh, and SCTV, I'm a huge fan of, and Monty Python, and uh, Saturday Night Live, of course. And a lot of those people from Saturday Night Live came from Second City, and I knew about the Groundlings. I knew all about it. I just didn't know what, it, what to do about it. So this place it was called Gotham City Improv in New York, and they, they offered classes in improv, and improv geared towards writing. So uh, I signed up. I took the classes. I loved it right away. You kind of move through various levels of classes where you're taking improv and Using that as a way to train you to write because you do like an improv exercise, uh, like a full-around freeze tag, if you're familiar with that is, uh, you know. And then through that, you might come up with something on the spot, like a funny character or a line or, or something silly or a funny idea. And the teacher would say, okay, that was a really funny idea that you came up with this improv. Now I want you to go home and write a scene based around that or, or take that character and write a monologue for that character. So you, you were then taught how to taken spontaneous idea and then craft it crafted into something that you had written and i really enjoyed that around the same time i met up with a person who she and i both had a similar sensibility and we wrote a lot of scenes together and uh she was very focused on having a show business career uh and so we formed a two-person team along the lines of mike Nichols and elaine may although you know we were not one tenth as good as they were but We did that and we showcased ourselves around New York and we got some people who thought we were good. And uh, they said, you should come out to Los Angeles and do your show there. And that's kind of all we needed to hear. So we basically threw everything away. I mean, threw everything in a car, drove out from New York to LA with a couple of phone numbers of some agents and some managers uh, and a couple of people that we knew out here and said, let's do it. And it took about a year and a half of various things happening and we got an agent a manager who got us an agent who then secured us a, a showcase at the comedy store on sunset boulevard which is the big one of the big comedy clubs and uh, this agent worked the phones that got everybody to come see us from all the various networks and production houses and studios and our heads were spinning with wow we're going to be discovered we're going to be new tv stars and, and we did our show a couple of nights and it was very exciting And then we had zero follow-up, which is that we had all these meetings set up at these various uh, studios and networks, and we didn't know what to do next. And our agent, I think, could have helped us a little bit because we went in expecting to be signed up and handed like, you know, here's your contract for TV, here's a million dollars, whatever. And they just wanted to know what we had in terms of sitcom ideas, and we didn't have (sighs) it. And so we had these very embarrassing meetings where we were like, uh, So... (laughs) Our agent at least got us another follow-up meeting saying, well, we'll come back in a couple of weeks and pitch you their idea. We hadn't thought about it and, you know, we weren't ready. So we kind of hit a wall and and that was it. Uh, You know, we went from like the hottest thing in town to like, you know, yesterday's newspaper, you know, overnight almost. And that's where the the reality check really hit for me especially because I liked the writing part. I, I enjoyed the performing, but I, know that, I knew that performing wasn't going to be my in. Like, I wasn't going to be a TV star, I didn't think. But she, my partner, she was much more better actor than I was. And whatever, she had a better commercial look. and So she kind of went her way, and we went. I went my way. And then I really buckled down and said, I'm, No way am I going back to New Jersey, you know, with my tail between my legs and saying, like, good, it didn't work out. So I took any kind of job I could take. I did everything from phone sales to ugh, really bad phone sale jobs. I drove a taxi cab. Um, I did everything just to make money. And I just, then I started really writing, which is what I, I wrote spec scripts. I wrote sample material, I wrote spec episodes of, of this is the early mid nineties now, um, of shows that were popular at the time, like the Drew Carey show and uh, Murphy Brown. And, bunch of shows like that coach i wrote a coach and each one i just got better at it and wrote a larry sanders which i really liked um luckily i still had an agent and the agent eventually got uh, i also think i'd written as a sample was a, a packet of sketches saturday night lifestyle sketches that got in the hands of a guy named michael wilson who had worked on saturday night live and was putting together a low budget kind of syndicated version of like an SNL type show. And that was called the news with a Z, N-E-W-Z. And he read my packet. I remember I got a call from my agent saying, can you go meet this guy? And I did. And uh, I expected that he was going to ask me to pitch him a bunch of ideas. So I hold this. I spent all night, like up all night coming up with my ideas to pitch. I had a meeting with Michael. He just talked about the show and what it was going to be. And then at the end of the meeting, he goes, well, I read your sketches. They're really funny. Uh, you know, we start next week. Can you start? <laughs> and I was like, yes. So I had a job. And I worked on this thing for a couple of weeks. And it was my first taste of like, this is TV now. And I met some people there on that show who then helped me get other jobs and other things. And, and my first animation job was with a show on Nickelodeon called uh, Real Monsters. And I got that job because one of the guys on the news was working on that show and got me in for a couple of episodes. and. I just kept plugging, and eventually one of, my, one of my spec scripts I'd written for news radio got seen by somebody at Disney, and Disney was producing this show for UPN called Homeboys in Outer Space, and uh, they sent my script over to the guy who was running that show. His name was Eric Van Lowe, and uh, I had a meeting with him, and he was very fun and very nice, and he hired me, and that was my first uh, sitcom job, and it kind of just went on. You know, it's weird. Once you get in once you get in you keep hoping that you want it you want the show to last. That show didn't last. But you meet people who then know you and, and think you're good or like you and you get along well in the writer's room and then they hire you for your thing and, and the next thing and the next thing. And very long story short, two of the people on Homeboys in Outer Space were Al Jean and Mike Reese, who uh anyone who knows the Simpsons would know that Al and Mike were on the original writing staff from almost day one of The Simpsons and then They were the showrunners for seasons, uh, I believe, three and four. And at this point, they were off doing an overall development deal at Disney and um, working on this show, Homeboys Under Space, two days a week. And they liked me, and and they hired me for their next show, which was called Teen Angel, which was on ABC. But then a couple years later, um, I stayed in touch with them, and a couple years later, Al had gone back to The Simpsons and was now running The Simpsons again, and he called me out of the blue. Just one night. This is in two thousand and one, and said, "You know, we're uh, we're getting ready for our next season of The Simpsons. Some people have left. We have a couple of we have a a couple of openings. Would you like to work on The Simpsons?" (laughs) And and at the time, it was a really opportune call. First of all, because of course, The Simpsons, you know, one of the greatest shows in the history of TV, and also a really secure job. (laughs) You know, because it was a show at least going to be around for a while. Uh, No one thought it would be around for another twenty years, but. um, but I was on a show that was just about to get canceled. The, the ratings were very shaky for it, and so I said, "I think the show mine is about to get canceled." And he goes, "Well, if it does, call me." And and literally, like a week later, that show got canceled. So I called Al, and the job's still there, waiting for me. And that was whew, that was 2001. So here we are.
0: <laughs> and how did F is for Family come about? How did you transition from? Because you're still working for the Simpsons yes, as well, I right? Still okay. yeah, yeah. That,
1: I still do. Yeah, I have one of the greatest. Greatest arrangements in the history of uh, show business, I think. Well, I've been working on Simpsons for, for several years. And, you know, after a while, I mean, as great as it was, everyone always wants to try to do their own stuff. So I had pitched some ideas for pilots here and there. I'd gotten a few where, because what happens is you go out and you pitch the pilot idea to a network, and then hopefully they say yes. And then they they order a script. Then you write a pilot script. and then they hopefully then order you to actually physically make the pilot and then if they make the pilot then maybe eventually it's on tv you know but every year they would order let's say you know 30 scripts or something out of which of that maybe 10 pilots got made out of this maybe two or three got picked up so i would write i wrote pilots for several years none of them ever got picked up to go to pilot and i was kind of trying to do even though I was working in animation, I, I liked live action. I, I came from the theater, so I was writing live action pilots, and nothing ever went. And I came to a point where I said, you know what, I'm just going to lean in and say, okay, I'm animation. I'm the animation guy. You know, I'm not going to say no to animation stuff. And I got a call from my agent saying, what I, was I interested in meeting Bill Burr, uh, who I must confess at the time, I wasn't super familiar with Bill, but... They said he's a stand-up comedian and he has a show that he wants to do an animated show that's based on his childhood in the 70s. And I instantly said, that sounds great. Bill didn't know, but I had written a pilot. The first pilot I ever wrote was back in 1998 or 99, was very substantially similar to Epheser Family in a way that it was about a family growing up in a little cul-de-sac in New Jersey based on my my neighborhood. And a lot about my relationship with, with my dad and so I said, this is right up my alley. This is great. So I had a meeting with Bill and his the producing people on that were uh, Peter Billingsley and Vince Vaughn from Vince Vaughn's production company. And we just had a great meeting. And we hit it off and I told stories about my, my neighborhood growing up. And a lot of the stuff that is now in Ephesians Family with the tone of the feeling of being a kid back then is that you would just go out all day and come home at night and you could get into all kinds of trouble and... You know, you didn't wear seatbelts in the car, you know, all that stuff. And everybody smoked. And we really just laughed about all that. And and Bill was comfortable with me. And so uh, I was, got the job to, you know, develop the show and create the show with Bill. And um, that's what happened, you know. So we pitched it and we got a chance to write a script. And then the script went, like, it was the first time I'd ever gotten past that script stage (laughs) where we were actually doing it. And thank God for Netflix. This was when Netflix was just starting to do stuff. I think we were maybe like when we first went to have our meeting at Netflix. This would have been right back in about 2013. Uh, I think the only thing they had on on Netflix, aside from you know their movies, the only originals I think they had then were Orange Is the New Black, probably, and um, House of Cards, I think. And they had that show called Lilyhammer, starring Steve Van Sant, about the hitman living in Norway. But we didn't know anything about Bojack Bo-J- Horseman. Came out like around a couple of about a half a year before we came out so um but we were like right at the beginning of it so thank god for netflix because i don't think this show could have really lived anywhere else
0: so we've heard your origin story and i want to definitely go through process before we do that i want sure. to fill in a couple of gaps for the writers who are listening right now so we heard how you got into the business But do you have suggestions for those writers, maybe specifically people who want to break into maybe animated TV? You mentioned spec scripts. Are those still relevant? Would you suggest writers write original scripts? And then also, is there a path
1: that you would suggest? That is such a good question. The spec script versus original script is such a great question. And uh, I've seen the trend uh, change over the last few years or so where when i go through the now that i'm a, a showrunner i get to read people and and look at people for staffing our show and for the most part people are writing originals right now i've read a lot of great ones and we've hired people based on them but personally as a personal preference of mine i would much prefer to read a spec of a show that is a funny especially for a comedy a show that is a funny uh, well respected show like for instance um even for episode family i would read a simpsons spec i would read like the shows that i consider like super funny that are on right now some of them aren't on anymore but like 30 rock or, or kimmy schmidt I'm trying to think of the f- like one of the funniest shows that's on right now is what we do in the shadows i would read what we do in the shadows almost over an original right now because what i'm looking for when i'm hiring someone for our room for episode family is someone who can be really really funny, can write really great jokes, can come up with a funny story idea, knows how to lay out a story, knows how to put a twist in it. And honestly, when you're reading someone, when you're when you're looking to staff up a show, uh there's a wealth of talent out there and you'll get I will get submissions for maybe we'll have two or three jobs available and I will get literally from all the agents in town, maybe a hundred submissions. So I'm, I'm looking to read like a hundred scripts. And when I have to read a hundred original pilots, it gets very difficult to, um, it's really hard, you know, cause you're reading like you're reading about a hundred different sets of characters, you know, a hundred different settings, you know, and what I'm really looking for is I'm, I'm not looking for an original. I'm not looking to produce an original pilot. I'm looking to hire someone who can work on my show and can be really funny and can sit in the writer's room with us and pitch funny jokes and come up with funny story ideas so you know even even if in a control group I would read like 50, 50 30 rocks you know and <laughs> I would find those the, these are the funniest people. but that being said, for anyone out there right now, I, I would suggest to do both I mean you've, you've got to write as many as you can you want to have a couple a couple of strong samples because different people will be different different will want different things. It maybe be the person who's creating the next show on Netflix not me my preferred originals you know i would prefer probably reading like a like i said like an established show so you want to have a a little bit of everything i would say if you're just starting out though let's say you're just starting out you decide like i want to be a writer a comedy writer what do i do it's a little bit like this is a crazy metaphor i use sometimes like do you ever see uh like they often say like rodeo rodeo clowns are the best rodeo guys because they have to be, they have to learn how to be really good rodeo guys, and then they can be the rodeo clown. And there used to be, there used to be, I used to see these, like, when I lived in New Jersey, I'd go to the beach, and there would be these, these shows where they'd do diving exhibitions, and then people would doing amazing dives. And there'd always be a guy who was a comedy diver, who would be in the audience as a plant, and he'd pretend to be a drunk guy, and he'd go like, oh, I can do that. And he would <laughs> climb up the ladder and appear to be drunk, you know, and then he would do an amazing dive, you know, but he had to be the best of them all. So anyway, that's a metaphor of saying that like before you go off and write, like you're you're great American, you know, you're your pilot based on your life or your original pilot, like you really want to be able to master the form. So that's why I think it's good to take a show that you really like. If you're a really big fan of anything that's on, if you're a big fan of Rick and Morty, let's say, you know, like really learn how is a Rick and Morty script written. Try to get copies of it. I think there's easier ways to get copies of scripts now than there used to be. The Writers Guild has them, I think, but you can also just look them up and Find one somewhere like learn how it's formatted learn how a script is written learn learn what it looks like you know and then take a rick and morty and just pretend that you're working on rick and morty right now and come up with a great story or whatever it is and write your own script of it and i think that's a way to sort of learn the form learn how to write comedy and then you write then you start writing pilots i think it's too much to put a burden on people who are let's just say just starting out to have to come up with, like, the greatest pilot in the history of a great pilot, you know, because it's hard. You have to sort of learn how to do the other stuff first. So it's a very long-winded way to say that I think it's good to have both. And because, you know, you never know, like, if, if, a, if an agent is looking to read you, he might want to say or he, she might want to say, like, whatever you got. And you can say, well, I've got two originals. I've got two specs. And so I think it's good to have a lot of stuff, a lot of arrows in your quiver. You mentioned that you
0: read Scripts for the purpose of hiring writers, not necessarily to develop those right. scripts you're reading. For those writers who are writing those scripts, is it more valuable to look at a script as a calling card to get hired and get a foot in the door, as opposed to, like you said, writing a great American script for themselves? Would you say that's? I would a, a say more yes. Realistic?
1: I would say that's a more realistic way to go. Only because to get your name, to get your foot in the door, to create your own show, often you have to have. Some sort of track record, you know, of working already. You know, uh, I mean, there's lots of stories of of that people who skipped all that, like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Those guys made made a short film that was basically a pilot for that, and FX liked it and said, "Okay, make a show." You know, Broad City, I believe, was a similar thing. But for the most part, to get into a room, let's say Netflix, to be able to get into Netflix and to say, "This is my show. I want to do." You usually have to have some sort of credentials established and some kind, you know. So I think, yes, I mean, write, write the best that you can. But I'd say this, too, is that there's also a cold, hard fact of almost any kind of script that you're writing that will be read by someone. Picture it being read by someone, let's say, like me or, or someone else or, uh, you know, who has to read 20 scripts that night. And often, you know, like, let's say a, a good a good half hour sample script would be maybe 30 pages or so, you know, depending on what kind of format it's in. You really want to grab them in the first couple of pages. You know, you want your first couple of pages to be really strong, to be funny, to get an idea of what the show is about, you know, especially if it's an original. I I can't tell you how many times I've read an original pilot and literally the first two pages almost is full of stage directions and it's all about the main character's day. You know, like it'll start with like the main character, a man or woman wakes up and they. They brush their teeth. They put on their clothes. They go. They get in the car. You know, and it's all stage directions. And it's all great. I mean, probably if you made this on TV, you'd watch that and you go, "Oh, this is interesting." But for someone reading it, it, it can be a little bit of a slog. And you really want to make a really strong impression as as soon as you can. So uh, I, I feel that way about anything I write. Even I'm writing when I write pilots, like the pilot for, for Family. If anyone's seen it, the opening scene is the scene that sort of announces this is what the show is about. And I, I sweated on that scene when I wrote it. Like, I can't tell you, I'll, I'll sweat the opening scene of any, of any script I write, especially if it's a pilot. I'll work on that more than almost anything else. And often the ending is something I come up with at, like at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> that I it in. But I will work on the opening scene over and over and over and over and over again because I want it to make a real strong impact and really be as funny and as tight as possible and I think that's what you should do is because you're looking at someone who's maybe sitting there reading it on their iPad, you know, at eleven o'clock at night after their full day of work. And, you know, if you don't have them grabbed in the first couple, three, four or five pages, then there's a good chance they might just say, uh, what's the next one? You know, so you really want to work really hard and make it as really good and as strong as possible off the bat. So we've talked about obviously what type
0: of pilot you should work on, but what about getting it into the right hands? Would you suggest, obviously, agent is a big part of that. A manager also could be a big part of that. What are some ways? You mentioned It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They created a short film. Would you suggest certain paths that people can kind of get their foot in the door to get that script into someone's hands?
1: Boy, you know, I mean, so much of it is still about having an agent, only because from a very technical reason, like you need to be represented by someone, an agent or a manager. So having an agent will always be an important thing. It's happened sometimes that you don't, you know, but often it's about getting to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. You know, the old story is still true about people who work their way up from getting involved in a show by being the PA or something, you know, the person that goes to runs copies or gets the lunches, whatever like that, and then working their way up to the next level, which could possibly be a writer's assistant working in the writer's room. And getting to know the writers. Uh, you know, on Efforts for Family, we've now promoted two of our writers' assistants who came in as writers assistants. And also because we had a very we have a lower budget than most shows, we allowed allowed the writers' assistants to also pitch and come in and pitch jokes whenever they wanted, you know. And they both really distinguished themselves and went on and we hired them and moved them up to be staff writers. So that's that's one way through. Yeah, it's just any way you can get involved somehow, you know, have someone see your stuff. Of course, now with with uh, with social media and with YouTube and stuff, it's you know you can make a short film that's really funny. You can make something that uh, that gets gets seen. Yeah, that's certainly a way as well. But it's it's almost always going to still come down to I think having something that someone can read. Because I've seen a lot of really funny stuff on people have created a lot of really funny, really interesting and interesting funny kind of content during. It's quarantine time. You know, I think some of those people might say, someone could look at them and say, wow, that's an amazing short film you made. What else have you got? I mean, I think it's still going to come down to the what else have you got, you know, which is what happened with me oh, and right. all those years ago. And you want to have the what else. You want to have it ready to go when you have that opportunity.
0: We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience podcast, with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite. Whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth
1: Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic.
0: So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. So we've talked getting the foot in the door. I would love to move on to process. So we usually frame our episodes around specific themes. We have, I think, talked to a couple writers about animated TV. But we've never talked to a showrunner and a writer for The Simpsons. So I would love to talk both writing for animated TV, maybe looking at it from the perspective of writing for The Simpsons, at the same time, being a co creator, executive producer, showrunner as well. So, would love to kind of cover maybe the whole process from those different perspectives. Does that sound good? Sure. Amazing. My first question for those listening so, you're working on The Simpsons as a writer, and you're the co creator, executive producer, showrunner of Netflix's F is for Family. Can you walk us through? the roles the differences between those roles and is it uh weird to be working as both a writer and a showrunner on another show do you ever feel when working on the simpsons maybe because of your experience as a showrunner you want to get
1: more involved yeah it's interesting when i'm on the simpsons we have a big staff which is great i mean i work with some of the funniest smartest people i've ever known uh and so i'm just one of the people working on the staff uh i mean i've been there a long time so i have a highfalutin title of co-executive producer but it really just means i'm a writer who's been there a long time Uh, and so when you when you're on the staff of the simpsons for the most part uh what your job is in terms of how a script gets going let's say is that we we have different times during the year when we when we pitch our story ideas to our bosses who include uh al jean and matt selman uh, matt Groening, and uh james l brooks so we work on our story ideas and we we used to have we haven't done it last time we did it was a year ago like a big day where we'd all come out we'd have a big room together when we can be physically together and we'd all take terms pitching our ideas for the for our stories that we wanted to do so it's always coming up with the story idea coming up with first thing is coming up with what what's a good story to tell on the simpsons and um for me, it's always about some I'll have some big idea that I really like, that I'm really interested in, and then trying to flesh it out and say, okay, how do we get to there? What happens after that? So I'll just use an example, the most recent Simpson script that, I, that was on TV that I wrote, which coincidentally uh, I'm very proud, is that we won the Emmy Award last year for this episode. It was an idea I had many years ago, and I actually kind of put it away in a drawer And I was looking through some stuff. I was like, I need to find some new story ideas. And I found this idea literally from, it wasn't quite in an actual drawer, but it was in a file, a word file from around seven or eight years ago. And it was about that. The idea was that Grandpa Simpson had at some point in his youth, after being in the war, became, he was the photographer's model that they took pictures of him and they based the little green army men that every kid plays with on him. So that was the only, that was the idea I had. And I thought it was really funny and there was something funny about it. And so uh, I said, okay, well, I'll work on this. And I kind of tried to develop it backwards into how did you get to this? And it turned into this whole thing where grandpa was having, um, seemingly having war flashbacks that were traumatic, but uh, he was having traumatic flashbacks to being in the photographer's studio. And so instead of bombs going off, it, it was flashbulbs. And then it was like, well, why Why was it traumatic? And uh, and I pitched the story. And here's how our story days work is that you pitch an entire story. And my story was that he remembered this. He had this recovered memory. And he remembered the thing that was traumatic about it was that he never got paid for it. And so then he realized that they had sold millions of these toys and he probably was owed money. And in my original pitch, they went and sued the toy company and won and then the toy company ended up going out of business and that Grandpa Simpson now owned a toy company. And then the, the second half or two-thirds of the next, whatever, two-thirds of the story we're going to be about how does Grandpa run a toy company? What does that mean? And do they still make army toys? And I remember Bart and Lisa both having taken opposite sides about, like, it's still okay to make war toys and things like that. So I pitched the story. Everyone laughed really hard at the the, the, the revelation that grandpa was the photographer's model for the Green Army men. But then after that, there was some divergence. And our ultimate boss, Jim Brooks, said, Because I love all this first part, but the rest of it seems a little bit too big and like grandpa owning a toy company. Let's make it more personal and figure this out. And we we spent a couple of minutes talking about it. And I believe it again it was Jim who pitched what became what the story was, which was that the reason that grandpa repressed this, this memory was that the photographer was a, uh, this is back in the 19 late forties was a a kind of a repressed uh, in the closet, closeted uh, gay man who mistook uh, grandpa's friendship for romance and made a pass at him. And uh, grandpa freaked out and ran away. And because of it, the guy was outed and he was fired from his job. And, and grandpa felt bad about it. And the whole second half of the story was about grandpa trying to find this man again and apologize to him. And it turned into a whole wonderful story that won an Emmy. But that's, that's what happened. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sort of being along with it again. But you pitch that story, and then you get to go off and write it. And you write your first draft of your script and your outline, and you get notes. And then it belongs to the, it belongs to the rest of the staff. And then we all work on it together. When I'm a showrunner of F's for Family, it's a little bit different in that we don't, you know, the Simpsons stories are very self-contained. Uh Family is serialized, so we spend a lot of time with the whole writing staff led by myself and Bill Burr in arcing out a whole season of of stories, and then our individual episodes, you know, fall into the serialized story blocks. So then I'm the, I'm the guy on the other side of the table listening to stories being pitched and deciding what works and what doesn't work. And, and then when the scripts come in, I'm the guy saying, okay, giving the notes and saying, we need to change this. And, and I'm running, running the rewrite and running the room, which is very different than just being one of the people pitching the move. You've walked through the ideation of ideas for each of those shows, but tell us about
0: the difference in the writers' rooms. You know, obviously, as a showrunner, you have a different role as a staff writer or a producer, but tell us, what is the difference in the feeling of the people in those different rooms?
1: It's about the same. Wherever you go, I felt. But except the only difference is that when I'm the showrunner, when I'm just one of the people in the Simpsons room pitching, then I can just pitch a joke from any direction. Usually, like, the the person who's running the room will say, like, we did a better line here, a better, you know, crusty line, let's say. And then everyone just pitches what they think it should be, and you say it out loud. You know, you just say it. You don't say, like, what if it was this? You just say it. And sometimes you try to pitch it in the kind of some version of the character voice because it it helps sell it that way. Uh, but when I'm the showrunner, room runner, reference for family, I'm also doing that, but I'm, I'm pitching as well, but I'm mostly sort of saying, okay, you know, this part here needs little look better. We need a better joke here for this character. And now I'm mostly listening to the pitches coming in and filtering them. It, it all still comes down to like, what makes everyone laugh the most, for the most part, like, you know, we're, comedy writers are in a way kind of jaded because we, we do this all the time. Uh, but I think one of the things that I think that sets me apart a little bit, and people have commented about this, is that I'm a pretty. I wouldn't say I'm an easy laugh, but I love laughing. I love finding something funny. You know, there's kind of a stereotype of the comedy writer who is who is the unfunny comedy writer who will say like, "Oh yeah, that's good, that's funny." You know, that's not me. I will bust a gut. I will laugh at stuff, and I'll laugh at stuff the first time I heard it, and I'll laugh at stuff the same joke like the fiftieth time I've heard it because it because I remember I have a memory of like hearing it for the first time. So, um, but I'll be there sort of like, it's still like whoever pitches the joke for the most part that makes everybody laugh the hardest is the one that goes in. But at the same time, I may be thinking about all different, you're, you're, when you're the showrunner, you're thinking on many different levels. It might be a thing we're saying like, you know, the scene is too long right now. We we don't have we don't have room for this line. You know, we need a better line here that gets us out of the scene sooner. Or it, someone could be pitching a, a a story idea where let's say they all go, they all go to the museum or something like that, and I'll be like, "Yeah, we can't really afford to design a museum right now." Or, or someone will pitch something that's a song we can't we can't afford that song. So I'm thinking I'm thinking as a producer as well as a writer. And as a, when I'm usually on the Simpsons writers' room, I'm just purely a writer, and it's a, somebody else's job <laughs> to say we can't do that for that reason. So um, that's sort of the main difference. And I'm sort of I'm sort of got about eight different things I'm thinking about. At the same time, as just thinking purely about what's funny or what isn't funny. Tell us
0: about arcs across multiple episodes. Obviously, I imagine it's different for F's for Family as opposed to The Simpsons because The Simpsons has been going on for a longer time period. So I imagine those arcs
1: right. are there's, you know across well, a different amount of episodes. Or, there's hardly, I would say arcs are not a thing that Simpsons does at all. I mean, I think the hallmark of the Simpsons episode is that everything by the end of it is back to square one more right, or less. That you, could, right. you, could take, you, could, you could take a Simpsons episode from, we're in season 31 right now. You could take a Simpsons episode from season 31 and put it next to one from season six. And for the most part, I mean, there's differences in how we animate it. There's all kinds of differences. But for the most part, it doesn't make any difference. Like there's no, there's hardly any arcs. I mean, some characters have died Sadly, because the actors have died and things like that. But for the most part, there's no there's no art. But uh, that was one of the great things I think about when we took *Epstein Family to Netflix was that they wanted us to follow a serialization. And we were at first a little concerned about it. Our original idea for the show was that it would be a Simpsons-style show where each episode would just be its own little story and one wouldn't necessarily touch on the other. But um, when Netflix asked us to do it the other way, we said, okay, and, and it became a little bit hard. But then we sort of leapt into it. And I realized that these are the kind of shows that I like to watch. I think I mentioned earlier that I'm a big fan of uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and um, you know uh, all the great dramas that are serialized. So I said, let's do that, let's do that. So it becomes a thing about, it's interesting because it becomes a thing about we want to do what's funny, but we also want to service these characters and find growth in the characters. And it's a way about arcing out a ten-episode season Uh, because our first season was six episodes, but all our seasons after that have been ten. And for me, uh, it comes about of trying to sort of think of it almost like a three-act structure. Each character kind of has their own three-act play. uh, That uh, I think of it that way. So, like, it's usually like the like so often you'll see in episode family. Like our first episode of the season is kind of like a standalone episode that is very funny and puts all the characters in close proximity to each other. So we get to sort of revisit all these characters that people haven't seen for a year or more and then get get everyone's story kind of started. Then I look at it the other way. Then I have nine episodes to tell a three-act story, and I'm sort of mathematical that way. So I'll look at each episode, like three episodes, three episodes, three episodes, and think of like a, like a three-act story for... For each character. So like the first three episodes is sort of starting the story a little bit. Then there's a twist at the end of that third episode or episode four of the show. And then it twists in a different direction for the next three episodes and it develops. And then there's a final twist back, like another reversal that leads to this climax. And I we sort of look at each character that way and talk about what is each character's journey this season. We might have an idea where it begins and where it ends. And then we'll sort of just we'll have a, a week or so when the when the room first opens of everyone just throwing out all kinds of things it might just be big it might be big ideas of like where should we take the character this year it might be small ideas it might just be a story that we someone remembers from their childhood or something that happened to them or just a silly thing what if this happened and our writer's assistance is writing it all down and there comes a time when we put it all on index cards and uh i go home for like a weekend or so and i kind of mostly me kind of sort of chart it all out and think okay this can go here this thing we want we want the bill burr's character to do this okay that's a good thing to happen in episode four and then we spend another week just going through the cards and we have a big wall in our writer's room where we list each episode and then put the cards down and say okay episode one is going to be all these things will happen in episode one episode two all these things will happen in episode two and so before we really start writing episodes, per se, for the season, we, we have a general plan of where we're going to go. And that all changes as we go along. But we have a, for me, it helps to know where we're going um, when we start things. So we can say, like, okay, that's going to happen in episode five. So we'll make sure we set it up in episode two and, and like that. And then, then we start blocking the ap- individual episodes out. And then individual writers take them and we'll spend a couple of days what's called breaking the story, which is sort of figuring out what happens in that episode. And then the writer will go off and write an outline that I will then look at and and give notes on. And then the writer will have a week or two to go off and write the first draft of that script. And then again, at this point, we're working on other things as well. And then when the script comes in, then we all start working on it together. And like in the room, with the room, usually guided by my notes and Bill's notes uh, to sort of Work on it some more it's always about the story at first, um, making the story make sense, making the story be interesting, making there be enough twists and turns that it, it's a good story, telling an emotional story we want, and that it ends it ends us where we want to be in our arc, and then we get to go back through and make it funny so usually it's that, usually it's for me and even on Simpsons i 'll do that too. try to make sure the structure makes sense, the story makes sense, the scenes are in the right place, uh, and then the fun part becomes you know, making it funny.
0: You mentioned the outline. The writers are writing the actual episodes, the outline of the script. Can you walk us through what the outlines look like? And then also sure, the script itself. Can you walk us through the process of going from that outline all the way to yeah. getting a
1: finished script? Yeah. Well, by the time we have finished breaking the story, that involves a lot of time usually at a whiteboard where again, with the whole staff, this for family on Simpsons, it might just be a couple of people off in a room, but um, for the most part, it'll be the whole staff talking through the story beats. Okay, so we open with this, you know, then ha- then this happens. So by the time that's all gone through, we've had a day or two of that. So the writer who is, who is writing that individual episode will have a fairly good idea of what beat goes where, and also then we'll do what's called a joke pass of the story breaking which is then we just sort of go through and everyone can just throw out anything funny they can think of. Like, what, if, what if when this happens, he says this? You know, So everyone's just throwing out their ideas, their funny ideas. And by the end of that, the writer, with the help of the writer's assistant, will have a huge, a huge batch of notes, which will basically be the bullet points of this is what each scene is, the order of the scenes, what happens in each scene, and some funny ideas. Then the writer's job is to then turn that into an outline, and an outline mostly is what you also call a treatment, you know, which is basically it's a script but written in prose form. So you'd say, you know, uh, you know, uh, exterior, interior, the Murphy House, living room, you know, and you just sort of describe the action. You know, Frank comes down from from getting dressed, and he goes having breakfast, saying he's off to go to work that day. You know, and it's basically talking through. The, literally just writing the beats out and then if there's a funny joke you want to put in you kind of write it in dialogue form so it's kind of a hybrid of a of a prose treatment with some dialogue especially if it's a funny joke you think is good you want to try out that's basically just a blueprint for the script Uh, and then i can read that and get an idea fairly good idea Is is it too long are there too many scenes will it come in will it come in super long or Maybe this should be here now, you know, because it's a chance to look at it again after our our story break. So then I'll give those notes to the writer and then give them that time to go off. And then they turn in the script. Uh, Scripts in Epheser Family are written, we write them in kind of standard screenplay format, which is uh, any movie, like movie format, which is single-spaced action and single-spaced dialogue. Um, Simpsons is written in kind of a hybrid of that and also of what we would call a like sitcom uh, format. Sitcom format is written with double-spaced uh, dialogue. And I think that goes way back to, I don't know, for like stage play or whatever like that. So so anyway, our scripts for Episode Family, our episodes come in around 27 minutes long, but when they're finally all done. So our scripts are usually around 30, 30 to 32 pages, uh, single-spaced. Uh, and then the writer will go off and write that and, and turn it in like a like a screenplay. Uh and then I have a chance to sort of sit with it. Usually the writer will turn it in, let's say, on a Friday or something, so then I have a whole weekend to look at it and read it over and to make my notes on it. It's possible, depending on what else we're doing that day, when we start in, either I'll either I'm running the rewrite myself or I may leave notes behind for uh one of my other executive producers like David Richardson or, or Mark Wilmore to What's called run the rewrite. And so then they will be running the rewrite. And again, the, the first part of that is about structure and about, for me, about structure and about making sure that it, the story makes sense. And then they'll do a pass that way. And then the next pass will be about, okay, making sure that, again, the story makes sense, that all the character attitudes are right, the emotions are correct. And then we get to go through and then we start punching it up. And that, for me, the punch up, that's where it's like, okay, now we need jokes here. Now, it could be a thing where we possibly might even send off a couple of writers on a separate room to just look at certain joke areas. I mean, there's certain things that are called like often we call them joke holes, which would be uh, like the name of a business. You know, on The Simpsons, and family also try to be funny with the names of stores or the names of a whatever, you know. So often we'll just send off the writers to, to come up with a list of like for each joke, we want five alternates, you know, and they'll do that. So then we eventually put it all together again and then we have a version that, that's pretty good and then we all work on it together again um, where we're just going through it again and again. Each script will go, we'll go through, we'll get maybe six or seven full passes before it's ready to start getting into production. Tell us
0: about the characters writing for The Simpsons, especially there are some obviously iconic characters. How do you find the balance between staying consistent for those characters but also bringing new life to them and then how does that compare to writing for your own characters in uh F is for wow.
1: yeah well i mean the characters in the simpsons are so wonderful and fun and iconic and it took me a while though to sort of understand a lot of them i think homer is probably in many ways is the easiest to write for because he's so just so crazy and he has such crazy appetites and his I don't know. Maybe he's more like me in a way, but uh, he's fun. It took me a long time at first when I first started on the show to understand Marge and to get her right, uh, and I still feel like we're still working on that. I feel like I'm still working on that. But she was one that was difficult to figure out at first. Bart is easy in a way. Krusty, I love. Um, I think Krusty is probably my favorite Simpsons character, just because uh, growing up, I'm a huge. I was a huge fan of watching all the old tv shows johnny carson and all the old like horse type comedians that crusty represents like uh, hannah youngman and whatever Shecky green and all those old guys so i love i love all old showbiz i think that's why i love crusty so much uh and i think we just try to keep them the simpsons is a, is a show that continues on like as it continues on so we're, now we're talking about things that are going on now you know so the characters i think stay true to themselves but also you know adapt to what uh, What's happening, how people are now, what's happening in the world now. With my other characters, episode Family, that's been really fun. It's been so fun to be at the ground floor of a thing, you know, because I joined The Simpsons in season 13 and 14. So, you know, 99% of all the characters that are even on the show today were established by then. But it's been so fun in Epheser Family to come up with a. We had a core group of characters that we started with the family and a couple of people in the neighborhood. And then, to find new new versions, new nuances of the characters and find something that we didn't know about, or maybe there might be a throwaway line, for instance, there's a character on the family named Philip who is uh, a little boy who is the the friend of the main boy uh, bill, and so we created him, and then we had a we had a thing at one point one an early episode where Philip was a very scared little kid and and he thought a bully was gonna kill him. And so he told Bill, he goes, please tell my mother, if I die, tell my mother that I touched the soft spot on my little brother's head when he was a baby, and that's why he can't read. I think that's why he can't read. So it was just a funny line that somebody pitched. It's very sad, you know. But uh, somebody pitched that, we got in the show, but then the next year or so, for season three, we said, oh, you know, Philip mentioned his little brother. We've never seen him. So now we created this character named Anthony, who was Philip's little brother, who people love or hate he's a very annoying little kid but uh, that was based on a a throwaway line you know so it's it's fun to create these characters and and find shades to them that we didn't know they they had before they existed and sometimes it's just based on some guy throwing it one of the writers throwing in a joke one day two years ago it's really really fun to see these people that become real people to us and and we really love them what
0: about working with let's say bill burr versus? Matt Groening. Obviously, you know, everyone's familiar with those names. Is there a difference between working with those two? Obviously, you're a co-creator and a showrunner on Evers for Family. But what about working with Matt Groening?
1: Well, Matt is great. Matt, Matt does not is not around in the writer's room that much. Uh, he His input will come from being at the table reads and, and giving his thoughts and inputs then or at, on story day. Um, so he's not really, he, he's hardly ever like just sitting in the room like one of the writers pitching, whereas uh, Bill, for the most part, for the first couple of seasons, even though he created the show and he's the star, he plays the main character, Frank, the dad, and he has a huge, a huge part in setting the tone of what the show is about and what is, you know, he doesn't sort of pull, uh, like, kind of star stuff, you know, so uh, to his great credit, when we first started writing the show, he would just see, okay, I'm just one of the guys in the room. Because he'd never worked in a comedy. You know, he's a huge, hugely successful stand-up, which is a very solitary kind of writing. Um, so he had never been a part of a writer's room on a show before. He'd never done animation before. So he was very humble and said, uh, you know, just treat me like I'm one of the guys in the room, even though he's one of the guys in the room who also was the star of the show. And, but of course, he came up with amazing stuff and super funny. And so many of the great lines in the show especially for his character, but many others, uh, you know, come from Bill. So it's more of a day-to-day process with Bill. And, and whereas Matt, again, I'm, I wasn't around for the early years of the Simpsons where I imagined Matt was there all the time. Um, so he doesn't come in that much anymore, but it's, we're always happy to see him. I'm always, you know, I'm always, when he says like, good job or that show the other night that you wrote was great. I, I still can't believe it. I, you know, my brain is telling me that something I did is good.
0: Tell us about the animation face obviously when the script gets finished it goes into production so to speak what is your role as a writer once the show is being animated
1: well in the simpsons it's largely finished once the show goes in we all get a chance to sort of give notes on episode family uh because i'm the, the lead executive producer and the showrunner uh, i'm closely involved with all of it so we will send the uh you know the script gets sent out uh we record it I also direct the actors at the recording studio, so uh, I will be there, you know, talking them through it and directing them. Uh, and then we put together what's called a radio play with, the, with our editor, which basically is what it sounds like. It's the, it's the soundtrack of the episode edited um, to sound like you think it might sound on TV if you turn the sound, turn the picture off. And that gets sent off to the animation studio. Our animation studio is in um, Montreal, Canada. Uh, and they do what's called the storyboards and the animatic, which is basically an illustrated storyboard of the show that we get to see in a month or two after we first record it. Uh, and that's when the whole staff gets together to watch it. And then we give notes and we have a, we have a uh, an animation director uh, in our staff in LA who supervises the revisions. And, and then we start just revising it and giving notes and, but I'm uh, you know, largely on top of all of it, along with a couple of the other producers, but we're really just on top of everything and editing it, editing that automatic, making it making it just right and fixing timing of jokes and calling for a new shot, a new angle, things like that. I I, I look at all the designs of new characters, designs of new uh, backgrounds, designs of props, of cars of things like that. It all goes through. Uh, my approval and a couple of the other producers approvals so we're really literally on top of top of all of it the simpsons not so much because there's a whole other hierarchy of people there's al Jean and matt selman who are the showrunners so they're largely doing that and they'll they'll occasionally say like what do you think of this or or i'll I'll occasionally direct the actors uh there especially if it's an episode that i wrote but for the most part i'm just one of the guys but on episode family i'm sort of literally on top of everything and we spend these editing sessions, you know, at night, sitting there with the, we uh, a great editor named Joe Gressis, who's fantastic, who will sit in with him and work every single moment and like, add a half a moment, here, add a half a second here, or take a half a second up there, and we really just sit with him. And, and he does a great job that we work worked on, um, fine-tuning it every, every, every step along the way. Michael, are you ready for a couple
0: bonus questions we call a sure. series of seemingly random questions? Certainly. Awesome. If you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant, and why?
1: Oh wow! Well, you're that's right up my alley. Uh, boy, what fast food restaurant? I could take any. You mean any writer, living or dead? Anyone from any time? Y- yep, living or dead. Boy, boy. Uh, I'm just going to say Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know why. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I read. I started reading him when I was in college, and I thought he was great. And I he has a real real great view of like america and everything so I would probably take him to uh i don't know why but i'll tell- i'll i'll put in a plug for my son my son uh wills is a big fan of this restaurant here in l a i think there's there's some there's only there's not too many in l a but there's some in uh the greater l a area and there's some all over the country called raising canes which is this great chicken finger place so i would i would take Kurt Vonnegut to raising canes and Talk to him about. I just because here's the thing. It's a really long line there to get in there, and they have to wait a long time. So I'd have I'd have a lot of chance to ask him. Slaughterhouse (laughs) Five. And the last question:
0: What is one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to the writers listening? And I don't know whether you want to lean it towards those who maybe might want to write for The Simpsons someday or write for an animated TV show. But uh, yeah, tell us. um, You know, the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Uh, Boy, I mean. A big macro thing, which goes back to the story I told about uh, Homeboys in Outer Space, which is when you're first starting out, try not to be picky or snobby or whatever about what you take, about what job you take. You know, Just take whatever you can get that gets you close to anything involving the business. You know, Because that's why I worked on Homeboys in Outer Space. If you, if you Googled it right now, it would, it would show up on a list of like everybody's entertainment weekly or whatever, anyone's list of uh, worst shows of all time, you know, and I think I'm fairly, but anyway, it was a silly little show and it was fun. I had a great time on it, you know, and it still gets used as a punchline sometimes, but without it, I never would have met Al Jean and Mike Reese. I would not be on the Simpsons, you know, so you don't know where, where you're going to go, you know, so don't, don't turn down things. Like for instance, uh, there was a guy I knew uh, who I met just through another way. And um, so I was, he was a nice guy and and, uh, he was eager to to do stuff. And so he was like, do you think there's anything you could possibly do to help me out? And I said, well, maybe, you know? And so I said, well, you know, I might be able to find you a job as a PA on the Simpsons because they're looking for PAs. And he was like, uh, you know, I think I'm looking for more of something like a writer's assistant job. (laughs) I was like okay I'm sorry you know but you know I couldn't help him and maybe he's doing great now I don't know but you know you've got to just take whatever you can no one wants to be driving around town getting you know going getting sandwiches for everybody but you know and and, you know homeboys outer space was not cheers or anything like that but it was a job that I needed a job at the time and and I was glad I got it and I'm so glad that I ended up taking it you know but you never know where you're gonna go you never know what little seemingly insignificant thing will lead to something big down the road our last question is did you have fun today
0: talking to us about writing? i did i had Amazing. a great time yes wonderful awesome. time thank you we did as well did you want to plug anything obviously the simpsons f is for family maybe your twitter tell us sure, what you yeah Shout sure out.
1: Well, The Simpsons were, you know, uh, we have a couple more great episodes coming up this season uh, before the end of uh, the current broadcast season, and we'll be absolutely back in the fall. Uh Family Season 4 is coming out soon. If you're listening to this and you're a fan, I know that it's very frustrating because sometimes it takes a long time between seasons, but it will be. I can't say anything specifically because Netflix has not released the release date yet but they will very soon and uh the show will be out definitely before spring turns into summer uh it will come uh and then if you wanted to follow me on twitter my twitter handle is all one word uh mike price in la and i also have a episode family writers account which is sort of uh more episphere family based and it talks about the writing staff a lot and that is at FAFF netflix amazing
0: Thank you again, Michael. Really appreciate your insights and your time. It was really an honor, and we had a lot of fun. I did too. Thanks so much. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at WriterEXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin MacLeod.